You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! going on guys welcome to another episode of peer pleasure with dewey halpus on jabberjaw media i am dewey your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week this week guys we have the one and only joe lally from fugazi on the program and i am super stoked about this joe is the third of four members of fugazi to be on peer pleasure uh as you guys know we've had ian mckay and Brendan Canty, and now Joe Lally on the show. And what an interesting dude. We had a great conversation. Uh, we nerded out on gear a little bit, um, talked about the early days, talked about what's going on now with the aesthetics. And uh, yeah, what an awesome guy. So big thanks to Joe for coming on board. Thanks to Brendan for introducing us. This one was a long time coming, guys, because we, we reached out a long time ago, set it up. Uh, my back had gone out. Uh, there's all kinds of issues. I had stuff at work, back went out, kids getting sick. It was almost like a cursed interview that was just bound to not happen. Um, I mean, I was on my back for like three weeks down from, uh, oh my God, it was awful. Um, but, and then his kid got sick. Like it was, it was all, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, uh, but we made it work and I'm really glad we did. A lot of times when things go wrong with interviews, as far as timing and things like that, it usually works out for the better because then it's like, damn, I wish I, I'm glad we met now instead of, you know, back then because so many more things had happened. 
um, more perspective on things or, or whatever, you know, that's just a lot of stuff that can, that can change in that almost a year that it took to, to get this one done. And, and I'm glad it happened when it happened because we had so much stuff to talk about. So big thanks to Joe for coming on. Uh, and like I said, big thanks to Brendan Canty for, for hooking us together. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we can get Guy uh, Pachotto on the show. Um, and we'll have the whole band. But, uh, yeah, Fugazi is a huge influence on every guest. I've said it before that the only people that don't cite Fugazi as an influence on this show are the guys in Fugazi. And uh, who knows? Maybe one maybe one of them eventually will. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, we're going to get into this conversation in just a moment. Let's check out PeerPleasurePodcast.com. That's the website. Uh, PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me, let me know what you thought of the episode or what you think of the episodes. Um, always check my email. Always answer my email uh, for you guys, and, and I love having you guys back week after week. Um, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Uh, check out RER Studio on Instagram. Get yourself a belt, a strap, camera camera strap. Uh, get some custom work done on a guitar, um, You know, uh, clothing, beanies, like one of the the cool things about uh, RER Studio, Ryder had sent me a, uh, one of his new beanies, and they are fucking heavy duty. Like, I was one thing I noticed immediately is this is a quality product. Like, everything else he's done for, for myself, for my brother, um, for the Portugal The Man guys. I mean, you see their guitar straps. Those are made by Ryder at RER Studio. Check them out. He's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, he'll do right by you and, and, and make you something that will last a lifetime. So big, big shout out to Ryder at RER Studio on Instagram. Um, you can check us out on Instagram too. Um, I think it's Peer Pleasure Pod uh, or at Peer Pleasure Pod. Anyway, it's all the episodes are on there. The episode images. I that's my only Instagram I have. So some of the stuffs up there is my kids and stuff and and uh, family things and things like that. But uh, I try to keep most of it just for the show. But you know that's my one means of of social media out there. So um, appreciate you guys putting up with or enjoying that stuff you know i'm pretty open about things so um, appreciate that a lot so all right guys without further ado let's get into this episode with joe lally from fugazi what's going on guys this is dewey from peer pleasure and i want to tell you about our newest sponsor DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms they are an amazing company i've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks and they're going to be with us for a while and i really really appreciate that i love working with great companies and distrokid is one of them uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called splits now if you're working as most people are online doing collaborations with people from all over the country all over the world as easy as that is with the internet uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. 
and you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid, and I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now, distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show 
Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Glad to be on with you. Um, I think Brandon hooked us together a while back. He's he was on the show, and Ian was on the show, um, right in the right in the beginning, like episode thirty, I think. Um, this will be oh, episode, wow. I think one one fifteen now. So yeah, shortly after that. <laughs> so anyway, cool. But uh, yeah, man, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Joe Lally from the Aesthetics and Fugazi and. Uh, all sorts of musical projects. You've got a lot going on your plate. <laughs> well, I guess and some. I wouldn't say a lot, but yeah. Some yeah. Things, some things happened over the years. Sure. Absolutely. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll second that. Uh so one thing that's uh one thing that's really awesome, and I'll tell you tell you right off the bat, just because um I said the same thing to to Brendan. Every band I've had on the show uh, in these hundred some episodes, whenever we talk about influences, almost every single one of them has said Fugazi, except the guys from Fugazi. <laughs> so, well, that's that's pretty wild. If I'm you didn't surprised. know, if you didn't know already, uh, the far-reaching uh, influence you guys have had is, I mean, it's every single time Fugazi is in there, and uh, well, that's nice. Yeah, I, we we spent a lot of our big chunk of our lives doing doing that band so yeah it's, uh, it's a nice thing to hear it's not something that i take for granted in any way well that's awesome and i mean yeah it's it's a it's a big deal i mean even one thing i want to talk straight off the bat it's been hilarious the last couple months i keep seeing these fugazi reuniting uh facebook posts and mm. like these uh, of course you know people would know if it was going to happen but the one last night that I saw a friend of mine, Veek from Rev Revelation Records, posted for my European friends, and I clicked on it, mm. and it was a. It takes you to register to vote. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it was funny, and and so I was just like, man. And then there's the ones that you know Trump's elected, Fugazi's getting back together, putting out a new record or a new EP, 
uh, I'm sure you see these, but what is your take on this? <laughs> it's just kind of funny because uh, it just seems like with the times, like it's something people are calling for, but it probably won't happen. But, uh, you know, does it just make you laugh or? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's funny, I guess, the, the thing that people want. I mean, it's nice that, that people want them. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody everybody wants this. It's just that the people who are putting, you know, posting those things, if, if they want to see us getting back together because of how strange things have become out there in the world, it's it's probably mirrored, you know, within the band. It's just that it, the band sees how hard it is. In other words, our, you know, our want of, of possibly getting out there and doing something or saying something at this time is is probably equal to yeah. the people who are fans wanting to see us do it. The you know the the thing about us doing anything is that we're just not a we're not a band to go rehearse two hours of music and then get out and play it. Mm-hmm. And it would just require so much time um, spending time together and just kind of finding out what we are now and what of you know what sense of playing old material um and maybe the f- physicality required to perform the old material mm-hmm. and all that you know what is there and what are we now and i mean it would just we're just that's the way we are but we're not really you know gee lives in brooklyn and it's just enough to sort of disrupt that kind of um you know ability to to in the same neighborhood thinking about the same things and just hanging out and mm-hmm. making regular practices happen and it's just that this you know yeah it makes sense it makes absolute sense i mean the uh so you're in you're in dc then still yes okay and brendan's there too so everyone yeah. and and ian so okay so did, did you born and raised in dc no in uh rockville just north of dc in maryland okay and did you come from a fairly musical family? No, not at all, really. Um, you know, there was there was uh, most people in my family studied some instrument in school, but usually elementary school and nothing beyond that. I studied trumpet when I was in second grade or something, but I don't think you know I didn't do it past the second grade. Um, it just it, yeah, it just wasn't around but there was a lot of music listening going on as far as uh my best friend next door and his older brothers there was just a lot of music in that house next door so for me it very early on it was a it was a pretty intense focus on music so i listened to a lot of r&b funk and soul and that was the music that i took to be like, you know, the, I don't know, the most interesting to me. There was the music on the radio, but other than like black music on the radio, basically, mm-hmm. I I just didn't, I didn't have the same feeling about it. And uh, as I got into, you know, the music of, I guess, the 60s, and some of the, I mean, this was 1973 or something. So just the early seventies, but mm-hmm. that's what those guys were, you know, and they were, they were older, my friend's brothers, they were older. So they were seeing the bands at night 
you know, they would they would probably go out and see things that I just don't have a lot of history of. But they would take us with them to see the bands that played afternoon sets, and there were a lot of uh, Motown kind of things. So I saw the OJ's and um, you know the Spinners and Four Tops and uh, Jackson Five and the Isley Brothers, all when I was like you know ten or eleven. That's incredible. It was pretty amazing. The Jackson that Five. Stuff. Yeah, it was when Dancing Machine came out. Yeah. That was the song I was kind of most excited to see them play because wow. it was what we were hearing the most, you know, on the radio. And, yeah, that was whatever the song contemporary with us at that time. But we also listened to the, you know, a lot of Ohio players and Sly and the Family Stone was very big with us and Graham Central Station because they had opened a show in D.C. for Sly and Sly didn't play, so they had to play it extra long set to make up for sly not playing and that kind of won over a big dc crowd and you could hear them a lot on that was when their graham central station's first record came out and so you could hear them a lot on the on the african-american radio stations Uh here in dc and that's what we listened to you know and that that was all a big deal to us that the first record is is still pretty darn cool sounding but the the Graham Central Station stuff, I'm sad to say, doesn't. It's not that easy to listen to today. It doesn't really hold up in time. It has. <laughs> it's really strange music. Is really what it is. It's so weird that it do, it doesn't stand the test of time that well. Yeah. I don't know what it meant then. It just made sense to me because we were we were all into it together. So it was our little club of people who were crazy about it. Yeah. But um, but it was you know it's like a high energy gospel music that isn't any of that you know it's not really rock and it's not really gospel it's just mm-hmm. crazy strange music man that's in, that's intense so that that helped form probably a lot of your your uh, your musical upbringing your your sense of melody your i mean just how music is put together in your mind like that, that had to be a huge impact i think so yeah i looked back at it years later and i was kind of like you know, when I, I wasn't 19, you know, I mean, I was 19 when I picked up the bass. So that was, you know, kind of late. I mean, I'd yeah. been listening to everything by then. And it, so it was kind of obviously punk rock that got me to pick up an instrument. But I, you know, I, I had been listening to music for a long time, pretty intensely because I got into drawing and stuff really in elementary school. And so even when listening to, you know, Sly and all that stuff, I was drawing when I was doing it. I think it's a pretty, you know, meditative way of really sinking pretty deeply into music. If you're drawing, you're, there's a whole other sense that's open and you're focused on something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so when I did pick up the bass, you know, I didn't really know anything about it, but I did have... I did have some some you know musical knowledge. I, I think I did have some kind of rhythm and stuff that was just there, and I think it was based on a lot of that. Because because after that, you know, when sort of disco came along and I started to get turned off <laughs> to those stations, it kind of crept in, you know, and I didn't really notice it until things got to be like really weird, you know. It was like this strange <laughs> sounding. What happened, you know? Yeah. And and I felt a little let down but i was also just changing as a person and i and i just started hanging around with the bad guys and uh people getting high and stuff and i was only 13 but 
that's what was going on. Wow. Did you, and, did you get involved in that stuff or did you stay away from yeah, it? Yeah, it didn't take long to cave in. I didn't at first, but oh, man. but then I was getting, so that kind of was at the same time getting into classic rock and then, uh-huh. and then I didn't really care to like drink or smoke. So I was just taking pills, you know, and, and then that it's just, I mean, I just did by the time I was 15, I mean, I just tried everything. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of insane, but everything was right there in a stupid little neighborhood. Yeah. You know that I that you didn't even have to get to like a major road, and it all came right into our neighborhood. But oh. um, but that like led through classic rock through junior high school, and right as I went uh, to a summer school class of uh, the Montgomery County Public Schools Arts Center. Um, and I and I mentioned that because a lot of a lot of of like the DC punk musicians that came out of like silver spring in maryland mm-hmm. they went to those classes too they went to that they took you know they went to that high school you could go from different high schools and take the the morning or afternoon class three periods long of this art class mm-hmm. and guys in the nation of ulysses and uh you know jay robbins and a lot of different people were in those uh, classes and uh after me Okay. And Peter Cortner, who was in Dag Nasty, he uh-huh. was the first person I did bands with, and he was a year younger than me. But we we met in that class and talked a lot about music and kind of went head over heels about Joy Division and, and creating music like that. And that and public image were the things that kind of set me – something made sense to, you know, I don't know, James Brown and sort of the repetition of funk and things that mm-hmm. – I don't know, made me think I could pick up an instrument, you know, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And so I looked at those bands like Joy Division and Public Image and just saw this, the way things were structured. And I was just like, you know, this makes sense. (laughs) Maybe I I can do this. (laughs) And I, and so we set out to do it. I mean, we played, we did two different bands that had, you know, that played two different, two shows each. There you (laughs) go. (laughs) pretty, Pretty sad, but you know, that's, the most I did, and then, and then I roadied for Beefeater, which which is how I met Ian, and and I was going to see all those Rites of Springs shows, you know, um, and tra- and drove them up to New York once uh, Beefeater when they played with Rites of Spring and mm-hmm. HR, and you know, just kind of was an outsider going to those shows really I was coming from Rockville by myself or wherever I lived at the time and Mm -hmm. I still lived in Maryland and then I didn't know people in the scene but I was going to those shows and that's that's kind of how I I ended up meeting Ian. Wow so well one thing I wanted to touch on too that was really interesting that you said was was um, talking about drawing and listening to music at the same time and and how it, it let you kind of get deeper into it one thing and just one thing they say about like podcasting specifically is uh, because you're usually listening to it when you're doing something else, whether it's, you know, whether it's creating artwork or even mowing the lawn or doing anything that that voice uh, over time starts to get into your subconscious and you start to uh, absorb a lot more. Like same thing with like the, the, I would assume like audiobooks and things like that to where you're, you're just more open to receiving uh, stimuli, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. but what you're saying is really cool though, because you're doing, you're basically doing, experiencing two different artistic mediums at the same time. So it's, it's it just really expands everything I would think. So, it, I mean, that's really cool. I've not heard, uh, 
many people talk about that doing those things at the same time and and the coalition the co uh, what's the word I'm looking for the 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 word just slipped my mind but the the two of them together um, mm-hmm. you know causing that yeah they I think it's probably pretty common and people don't think don't think twice about it because it's just very enjoyable yeah you know and it's something if you're if you're if you make art you you know you're probably always listening to music people are always putting on music mm-hmm. you know if they're painting or if they're doing whatever but it is it is a it is, it's amazing because you look really you can look i remember looking back at what i had been drawing and really seeing you know at the same time seeing what i was drawing i was i knew what i had been listening to mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing and i and i do miss that and i do and i just and i have started recently drawing again and kind of look forward to doing that again yeah. Yeah. figure out a, w- a way to be able to do it and, <laughs> and not completely like you know ruin go into financial ruin yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um the worries we have now yeah. that's awesome so <laughs> well so you and you were talking about you know picking up picking up an instrument because of of what you were into at the time and and why bass did you see a need for bass players versus guitar players you know a lot of people say oh everyone in my neighborhood was playing guitar so i played the drums or you know why bass well it became especially well for you know first it was larry graham Mm -hmm. and that was very you know his records he used to write uh lead lead bass after his name which was a very different thing Mm -hmm. to see on on somebody's record but i suppose that always kind of stayed with me the fact that he was using the bass in a different way and then when you know i started to focus on a band like joy division and a band like public image and the role that the bass played in those bands was not normal to me Mm -hmm. it really just started it just came back just something like came back in my mind that which doesn't really make any sense they're not it's not quite related but something is there and it just and it you know there's only there's too many strings on the guitar <laughs> i mean <laughs> there's just it just was absolutely the only instrument you know yeah it, it just i i had actually sung in a band with some guys who were doing music in my neighborhood and i had tried to sing but i couldn't sing and so it was kind of a joke and we never played a show or anything but we were trying to form a band and you know all of us ended up eventually years later being in different making music in different ways another guy played the bass and actually a guy that that guy was you know lived across the street from me and before him was another guy across the street from me my age who mm-hmm. was who had played the bass so there was kind of there was some you know and another guy in the neighborhood there was a couple of people around who played basses and somehow those instruments were kind of in front of me in a way and then um yeah so it just uh, yeah, something made sense about it, and I said I'd do that. And, and mainly, Peter and I had been to a Minor Threat show, and, and we just came out of that show and said we were going to start a band, and he said he would sing. And I was like, well, then I'll play bass. Mm-hmm. And we just went about getting some equipment to be able to do that, finding other people. And the rest is history. That's crazy. That's that's uh, I always love hearing how people you know came to their instrument because it's uh, some people it's very involved and some people it's super simple like like where it's like yeah I just saw a need for it or no I'll do that you know I'm gonna pick that one and then stick with it the rest of their life it's it's awesome yeah it's it is weird it's just it, it's it was just you know you get the feeling it was just waiting to happen and then you finally 
something you've, you've been trying to focus on something and then you know and it took it took time to understand and find you know uh, find find a base to play you know i always i had my close friends were this band the obsessed and they had a very you know you only played gibsons and you and gibsons were kind of big bases you know and they yeah. i'm just not that big so i'm like trying to wrestle with these things and like make them work <laughs> for me and i knew that they were great bases and they sounded great and they were just hard to play you know were those and i the still grabbers? have grabbers or the grabbers or the rippers that, well that would be an example of yeah like it's a lot of them that you'd pick up then there's uh -huh. like i even owned an explorer which is an insanely awkward instrument and uh wow yeah um but then before that there was I don't even know what it was called, but at the time it was uh, it was like a newer model, and it's not a very well-known model. I can't, I can't even think of what it was called. And I owned one of those for a while, which a friend I lent to a friend, and then they like sold it to another friend, and then oh. I tried to get it back years later, and it was completely warped and useless. Uh -huh. And it totally didn't matter because it was like not a you know I can imagine now it's just like not. It's not my, you know, it's not my bass. I'm still trying to figure out my bass because I ended up playing a music man in, in Fugazi for so long. And I'm, mm -hmm. I seem to be well known for that because of, you know, so many years playing the same bass. But it's but it's the brightness of it and stuff. Just I just did not agree with that tone, like recording it. I really couldn't deal with it very well and stopped recording with it after a couple of I think there's uh, two first two eps and then maybe steady diet were using the music man but everything mm -hmm. else was always borrowing somebody's fender and uh just it just yeah the there's just um the pickups are active and they accentuate high end mm -hmm. and it might have been different if i played with my fingers which i don't and i do i do a little bit now and it's and I can understand how that might be good, but the size of that bass was just perfect for me. So my my reach, you know, mm -hmm. for it was fine. Whereas the Fender just put me into a slightly uncomfortable position, which I am apparently still in, <laughs> even even though I tried. I I lived in Italy for a while, and I was really getting focused on short scale basses, but kind of um, playing my own music. Then I didn't have to think about playing another kind of music that was louder and just everything was going to be stronger and I don't know what, mm -hmm. um, the clarity of it, you know, was different mm -hmm. and I could focus on what the bass sounded like and the other instruments could be built around that. But coming back to States and then playing with Brennan again and just, just playing a different kind of music, I, I ended up with the, the Fender precision and and i actually have a couple of those that i play in two different bands and there's and i'm still like yeah, my body is like not happy with it and i just get weird like it's either in my hand or my back or my arm it's really weird that it bothers me yeah so I'm, this is not something you necessarily want to talk about but i seem to be going on about it anyway no this but is I'm, good stuff because we have, has anyone I'm focused again on like short scale bases, so yeah. it's gonna eventually people will see me playing them because I don't know whether it's I, I'm just tired, you know, I'm just tired of it. And you just want to, you just want to be completely comfortable with bass. Yeah, you're happy your instrument, happy playing it, you know. Sure.
we want to be in the pocket as far as yep. your body and with the the rhythm set you know like it's, it's totally. a whole it's a whole package you feel you know that comfort but the the uh has anyone ever offered to build you a base or design a base to your specifications at all has yeah that... there's yeah there's there is a guy who just recently um we were on tour in the northwest a guy named uh, ian graham and that's i a i n and graham like larry graham mm -hmm. and uh he he just came out to a show with the bass and it and it had a music man pick up on it it was not otherwise not like my kind of bass but it was wild to see someone who otherwise like he built he does other he has a shop where he builds all kinds of shit but i don't know what his main thing is that he builds honestly and he had brought a drum that he a snare drum that he built to show brendan then he came to another show and he he brought a bass to show me and, and like I just it was just wild that it was such a cool it didn't sound the way I wanted a bass to sound, but uh -huh. it was just amazing the way it was made, you know. So I yeah. so I started talking to him about it and I and for a long time I just started feeling like I can't I mean from everything I've learned, you can you can mass produce a bass. You can design I have a an old you know, friend in his seventies who's designed things with Warwick basses and he's just like, you know, you can do all the planning you want, and the bass that is made will sound different than the next bass that's made exactly like mm -hmm. it. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, and then I really was just like, oh shit, I'm gonna ask this guy. I spent all this time and money on a bass that I'm like, I won't necessarily like it at all. Like the chances of me liking it are not that great. Yeah. But he's convinced me that he's like, you know, gonna build a bass anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, he's like. I'm just probably going to build one anyway, so you might as well just <laughs> see if I can do one right for you, you know. Yeah. It's really funny. So I finally came around and, I, you know, did a bunch of drawings and stuff. So I apologize. I seem to be getting a bunch of messages, and I really hope it's not oh, going not, buzz. It, it hasn't. The, it hasn't at recording. all. Great. It hasn't at all. So I'm curious. I, I don't know the guy's name. Uh, but it's the, He does the electric, electric Guitar Company. He, mm -hmm. he does the like, sheet metal. Oh, Kevin. Okay, so this is not that guy. This is someone else. I, I know Kevin, uh, a lot of people have said he's brought them guitars on the road and said, hey, just take it for a week and see what you think. And so I figured, I thought maybe it was the same guy. Um, no, but actually I, I spoke to him first just because when I moved back, I had it in my brain to, to, to think about things being made. And honestly, the aluminum thing is, you know, aluminum base is probably not, I have other thoughts about it now about what to do concerning building an instrument you know that is made mostly of aluminum if not all of aluminum mm -hmm. but i i did set out on something and i sent him a drawing and he's so busy that we've communicated almost zero about it but he every now and then i just go like you know so what's happening actually i stopped because i just am embarrassed i'm like <laughs> it's insane that he has, he's he would be making me a bass but he says that it's, you know, kind of almost ready. And the last wow. time I inquired was about six months ago. And they were like, yeah, man, there's, you know, we're, we're actually really close and we'll get back to you at, you know, at the end of the week. And I never hear back from them. So I just, I've just kind of let it go. But <laughs> originally my friend, Augustino Tilata from uh, Uzeda was like, you know, he'd probably, probably be happy to, to see what, you know, you have, you know, to just talk to you about it, if nothing else. And, mm -hmm. 
just talk to him. And so, you know, I did talk to him and it led to, it led to this and he, but he did say that, you know, it, it'll take him years. Yeah. So I, I'm not, you know, I just, I, like I said, I'm just, I feel sort of, um, embarrassed about it like it's, it's just crazy somebody making you an instrument because i can't i don't have thousands of dollars to pay for that stuff so i just if someone wants to make it i'm happy to to try it out and i'm happy to play it to advertise it for them if it if it indeed works you know for me yeah but i but yeah so ian's already this guy ian graham has already made a, a medium scale base to because we're trying to get down to like making something comfortable uh-huh, uh-huh. and but he just sort of set out to do his own thing because i hadn't i wouldn't like commit to anything and and he and we talked about stuff so he made like a semi hollow body thing and and put it together and i was and it's again it wasn't exactly what i was trying to figure out you know to a t but it mm-hmm. but physically it was like the right size and i was just like whoa this is insane you know i was kind of knocked out by it so yeah. it really made me think i should try and you know go down that rabbit hole with him and see what i can figure out so we're kind of doing that that's gonna be amazing oh. that's gonna be absolutely amazing if you get fight you just get something that matches what you want i mean that's the ultimate win right there, but also having it be something custom. And I mean, it sounds like that's what you're going to need to be comfortable to have the sound you want with the, the, the playability, you know, like where you're, you're feeling comfortable playing it, but it sucks yes. that you feel embarrassed about it because I, I just think of the countless <laughs> amount of, I mean, if you and, and not to even, I mean, it may sound weird saying this, I guess, but think of the countless musicians that you have inspired through what you do to play and, and change. I mean, just looking from my small, small, small uh, uh, area of people that I've spoken to that like, that's my band. That's who told me I could do something different. You know, that's who inspired mm-hmm. me. It should, it should be, I mean, there should have been tens of twenties of offers, you know, of people wanting to build bases, <laughs> you know, not to, not to toot your horn, but you know, it's, no, it's you've done some it good is things, a really, you know, like it's a crazy thing to do though. It's, it's, it's an expensive thing to do and, yeah. it's, and it's time consuming and it's, and it's totally understandable. And mm-hmm. I mean, it just costs people so much, but it's hard for people to do that stuff. Yeah. And, and Anthony, who also plays in the aesthetics, Anthony Pirog uh-huh. talks to people about, you know, that, and he's had this guy from Abernathy, um, make, uh, you know, brought a guitar out when we we're also, when we we're up in the, no, we weren't in the North. Where were we? We we're in, uh, I think we're in California somewhere. He brought a guitar out. We're in San Francisco. He brought a guitar out. I think no, not in San Francisco. Anyway, I'm not. I can't. I have a terrible memory. West, West Coast, clearly. <laughs> but we were out in California for sure. Yeah. And, um, he brought a guitar for Anthony to play because Anthony wanted something super lightweight. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it's it's just wild. He's he's been using that because he's Anthony's got some trouble with his back and he just needs to have a lightweight guitar and mm-hmm. helps his situation a lot. And it's working for him, you know. And it's and I and I, there's this feeling that I have about in a way you can you should be able to make you know anything work and mm-hmm. to a, to a degree. I mean, my I played with this guy who played a lap lap steel guitar with me in italy and uh just for a show and he did some little recordings at home with me and he's super great guy mike cooper and he's in his 70s and amazing at what he does but we played this show together and i 
And it was at this little restaurant, you know, in Rome. And he was like, I was telling him about the amps available that he could use that they had. And he just wrote back like, it's, you know, it's not the amp. (laughs) I I was like, well, okay, then I guess I'll decide or whatever. And then we actually played the show and I, and I had such a time on stage just trying to hear, even though it was just the two of us, I had this, I had trouble just hearing my vocals. And so he said, well, why why don't I just plug directly into the PA? So in in the end, he didn't even play through an amp. And sure enough, it's just, it's just one of the best, you know, solo shows I played mainly because he's just such a great player. Mm -hmm. So even without an amp, he came across and just played because his thing is improvisation and he just didn't even, after we played, you know, my, my um, apartment once or twice, I, I just started to realize like, he doesn't want to know how the next song goes. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is perfect. So, and Anthony's a bit that way. So I started playing my solo music again because Anthony also wants to improvise. And the less you tell him, the happier he is. Yeah. So, incredible what, anyway well what's and, and i want to go back to you a little bit to you know because um, one thing i didn't talk about with ian or brendan is kind of how fugazi got together like we we got you know when you meet, met ian and um we always i mean brendan and i touched some on the the business side of things um and ian and i went all over the place with all we didn't even bring it up it came up naturally but we didn't you know jump in and talk about that but i'm curious kind of how for you, you know, Fugazi got together, and then I also want to know what what it's like playing with Brendan now versus then, because it's the same rhythm section, same guys, but way different time frame. Um, those are two things that really kind of sparked my curiosity when I was when I was wanting to chat with you. Um, so yeah, it, 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 kind of take me through oh. that from from after meeting Ian to how Fugazi got together and and how that call came to be and then uh we can talk about with Brendan later but um if you don't mind yeah Ian well I I like I said I was I had uh I'd taken Beefeater up to New York to a show once mm-hmm. and I knew and that was really because I knew Fred Smith um the guitar player from Beefeater who uh, is no longer with us mm-hmm. But um, he really he saved my ass at that time. Um, I really wanted. I had a government contractor job. I worked on base at NASA um, at Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. So I had, for a um, contractor for NASA, and it was just like taking care of machines, like printers and things in a computer tape rooms you know oh so like an it position with them kind of thing yeah and it just you know and it didn't require a bunch of uh intelligence or anything Mm -hmm. so it was just it was just taking care of printers and stuff and hanging tapes and but i i just didn't care for the job and they would have sent me to school for free anything to do with computers this is between 82 and 86 and i had i done that I could be doing anything i want right now as far as like working from my house and Mm -hmm being able to earn a living on my own <laughs> and uh i just did not care to do that then and and uh, and so you know i went and saw bands play instead because that's what i did yeah so um that you know i was just not happy so i was, I was still you know kind of taking 
taking drugs at the time. Okay. Yeah. And um, the focus was still kind of there and going to see music. And when um, I ran into Fred at a show at the old 930 Club, he was telling me about, like, I had gone, you know, and we had seen The Obsessed together. We, that's how we knew each other. We had we had seen each other at a bunch of obsessed shows, and then he, at some point he was like, "I, you know, I'm in a band, I'm playing guitar in this band. You should come see us." And so then I started to go out and see Beef Eater. And one night I was talking to him at some other show, and he was telling me about them going on tour. And he's like, "We're looking for a driver, you know, someone who who will roadie for us." And I was like, "God, you should take me," you know. And he was like, "Well." You know, I'll talk to those guys, you know, and I was like, please take me, you know, and he was like, I used to have, and they had a, they had a song called Government Worker that he wrote, and he was like, I totally understand, I hated it, I hated my job when I had it, and he had some other, I don't know what he was working in, but he, he just hated that job, yeah. and, and so he was sympathetic, and somehow he convinced those guys who didn't know me to take me on tour with him, and we met at Discord House, to leave on that tour to load the van and uh tomas lived the singer lived at that house at the time and actually lives there again now and um goes by the name of onam and um he you know and and ian are there when i go and so i talk to ian some and then we leave on the tour and then come back two months later we went around the states in the summer of 1986 when is you know you're not people are out of school you're just not going to get an audience at your shows people mm -hmm. don't really know that much about the band and i thought they were an amazing band you know at the time i thought they were different and really interesting and groundbreaking and just saying a lot and no one was really going to see them you know and i and i was seeing the states for the first time and i no longer had to deal with my job they were you know, two of them were straight and vegetarian and they wanted the band to be that way on tour and asked me if I would be that way on tour. I was like, I will do anything to go on this tour. No problem. And so that is what got me, you know, and I, and already going to see them and going to see Rites of Spring. I was, I was already turning my mind towards uh, trying to just focus on doing something else. And, you mm -hmm. know, part of that was just surrounding yourself with a different crowd of people who, were aimed at doing something different with our life. And uh, that really helped, you know, so going on tour with them really saved me in a big way. But um, I came back from that tour and didn't really have anywhere to stay. So I stayed um, with Tomas at the house. And the next day when we got up, Ian took us out to lunch to talk about the tour. And I think he just saw that I was like one of the band members that mm -hmm. I was that serious about it. Yeah. You know, and I I got up on that tour and sang a song with them, you know, at the end of their set. And uh, and Tomas had, had written, I think, you know, about the tour. He would write home to Ian and just kind of say, you know, probably that he could live with me in a van, you know, mm -hmm. which is saying enough. Yeah. And, um, and a week later, you know, Ian had never seen me play bass. He, he asked, he called and uh, where I was living at the time with a friend. We were house sitting for her sister and um, asked if I would play bass with him, you know, and he had Colin Sears playing drums at the time to try and get, you know, something new started. 
and we would go to Colin's father's house and play in Bethesda, you know, when Ian would get off work at Yesterday and Today Records. So we we started out doing that, and then Colin ended up going to um, back with Dag Nasty, who were reforming and going out on the road and or doing whatever, going on tour and whatever point they were at then. And he enjoyed it, but it was, you know, kind of like, I'm going to go do this. So we were like, well, I guess he's not into it. So then we started searching for drummers. And we just spent a long time doing that. <laughs> and we played together for a year before we played our first show. So somewhere about halfway through that year, I think we got to got Brendan to play with us once. Mm-hmm. And then no matter who we got, we really couldn't feel any better than we had with Brendan. So it was pretty tough because Brendan was playing in Happy Go Licky, who we uh-huh. both loved. I mean, we, Ian and I both loved Happy Go Licky. They were, what a great band they were. And, uh, you know, it just happened that he started to play with us as, as they were kind of coming apart because uh, somebody was going to school or two of them were going, I don't know, I think Mike Fellows was, was going to move to New York and I don't know, all kinds of things were changing. And mm-hmm. So then he ended up playing with us, and we, and that's how we and when we did our first show. Wow. That's intense. I mean, that's It's so funny how th- so many things can be happening at the same time to come together and to, you know, it's just weird to think about how, how easily things could have been different, too, you know, and, and things could have yeah. never happened, which is, it's just yeah, it's magic. hard not it's hard not to see it. Um, from the inside, because that's mm-hmm. the way I saw it. So uh, yeah. to me, the whole thing, you know, everything is always like some kind of miracle when it comes to a band, because if you can find the people that you can really play music with, it's just not easy. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. So it's, it's you know, looking back at that, I never take, like I said, it's not something that's just normal to me. It's like, it's incredible that it happened. And everything that happened after that, it's all not, I just don't see it from the outside as a band that everyone, you know, is, that's Fugazi and they blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, each thing is like how much you worked at it to make it happen, you know? Yeah. And it was just the total focus of my life at the time. So anyway, that's what we did for 15 years. And then Brendan and I actually never played a live show for 15 years until we did the first Mesthetics show. Yeah, what was it like? What was it like getting back with him? And and uh, I mean, there's things where I mean, you look at certain bands, and you know, uh, if a certain member isn't there, the band doesn't continue. You know, like uh, there's that magic mm-hmm. with those people. But you guys, I mean, there, you guys had that magic. But then you guys, as the rhythm section. Uh, were unique in yourselves because you, I mean, you're the rhythm section. So you guys have, have locked in together. You guys have that relationship. Did it feel like riding a bike when you guys got back together and started jamming or was it a whole nother ball game since so much time had passed and you guys were totally different people? Um, I would assume well, I'm just, I'm speculating. Yeah. But. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's all of that because we not only was it incredibly familiar and I had played with a lot of different drummers, doing my solo stuff mm-hmm. and I did eight tours with Ricardo Lagomasino who plays on my second solo record nothing is underrated and he is a phenomenal drummer he's a mm-hmm. studied jazz drummer and teacher and he's amazing and it was amazing playing with him but it's but he's you know really is beyond me as a drummer and he's and he's just it was excellent playing with him and yet you know to 
to play with Brendan again was mm-hmm. so familiar. And I had come, I think, a long way since Fugazi had stopped playing because I never understood many things about my instrument all through Fugazi. And I set out to make my music after that, and I realized how much I was kind of missing that I had relied on um, the other three people to continue, you know, writing songs and so forth. It just was, I was a part of a machine that required the other three people. And so Mm -hmm. I really set out to figure out what I was missing. So I learned a lot of stuff trying to piece things together on my own when the band stopped playing. And so by the time I played with Brennan again, I think I was a better player. And I think he's probably a better player because he never stopped playing. Yeah. He played with, Bamul and he played in Def Fix and he played in so many different things that he did over the years, but he also was making soundtrack music and just playing every day, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. he was playing with a band or not. So Brendan never stopped. And when we played together with Anthony, even the first time we did that, it was just it's pretty amazing. But just playing with him, yeah, it was it was crazy how easy it was, you know, for me after so much time it was just i just didn't have to think you know yeah. it was incredible so it was very the first show we did together was just i don't know if anything's gonna ever feel like that again because it was like <laughs> it just was a breeze at first i was very kind of nervous because i was like this music is you know anthony's playing is something i had never really tried to play music like that with anyone and all of a sudden mm-hmm. We're doing the first show with them and then i was afraid like what if things got fast and you know what am i gonna be at? and then just before we played the adrenaline of playing with brendan overtook me and i was just like oh i totally recognize this feeling <laughs> this is not gonna be a problem and it wasn't it was so easy and they actually did play some things way too fast but it was their problem yeah because I was like, oh, you guys are going to have fun with that. <laughs> but it was not a problem for me. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty great. Not not that that doesn't still happen. I mean, they do that and they fuck me up because they'll go flying <laughs> through some shit. And I'll just be like, are you crazy to play it this fast? I don't know what you're trying to do. Yeah. But yeah. Man. Well, you said you said you, you learned a lot, you know, after Fugali stopped playing, like, is it is it and you were saying because it's kind of a machine that, that required the other people when you mean when you say that you mean uh learning to write music and like complete pieces of music and songs on your own is what you were learning or just learning i mean yeah. technique wise yeah really just really just to be able to complete like songs on my own because i had really grown up you know writing with that band i mean i wrote with I wrote with Peter the same way when we wrote in the two bands that we did. And I, cause mm-hmm. I never really did much beyond that. I tried starting bands with some people, but they never got anywhere after yeah. that. So really the only bands I'd been in were with Peter Kortner and he didn't know how to play bass, but he was putting notes together and going like, well, what about, you know, what if you play this? And then I could always play whatever he was mapping out. And then he went on to play bass in a band after that. And, and um, you know, it's just the way I, you know, I'd worked. That's how I learned to write was writing with other people. It mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't know much about wh- how it was happening. The technical part of w- what was happening. It was, you just did it because you were doing it with other people and sounding it out and just yeah. getting it done. 
And so doing it alone was just didn't make really make any sense. You know, it was something that you did with other people. Yeah. So I had to, I had a lot of like unfinished parts in me that were, you know, like I'd be writing something or I'd hear the bass line first or I'd hear a vocal melody first. And I just didn't understand how you picked up from there, you know? Sure. Well, so I, I just kind of did what I had to do to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Well, I mean, growing, growing as a musician, you know, aside, do you find that, that being able to, I mean, finding that part in yourself to be able to complete the music, complete a piece, you know, start to finish, do you get the same satisfaction uh, from that as you did from just bringing in really good parts to a whole? Or is it is it kind of a, a 50-50 on that? Where, I mean, do you feel, I mean, I know you, you, you grow as a musician, but, uh, you know, did you have more fun, you think, just being like a parts guy, bringing in parts to a whole or composing the complete I think I, I, Yeah, I, I, I suppose that I prefer being part of the band. Yeah, 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 okay. I don't, Um. I mean, I haven't, I kind of ran out of lyrics. I've really felt like I was repeating myself with lyrics and I really didn't want to say anything that didn't inspire. I wanted to be able to have lyrics that were, you know, people could still turn over in their mind after they hear and think about stuff and not just go like, that's fucking depressing. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where they were going to me. They weren't really inspiring. They were just depressing. So I was, I, I just kind of stopped, but, but I, and I still, you know, I still wrote things and the, and the, I, I'm sure it's going to come back at some point to just try to, you know, make music under those circumstances, meaning alone. Mm-hmm. But I do, I, I don't really care to work alone that much. And sure. so it is, it is, you know, it's a social thing writing music to me. I just think that you can write, it just seems like it's so much better. Yeah. The results are so much better and it's, and it's not necessarily true. It's just that it just feels that way. And it's just something that I, that I enjoy doing. So it was okay to do it alone, but I, you know, I, I kind of prefer doing it with other people. So it's kind of where I'm at now. And I do like, the difference of, of working in a instrumental band that just, you know, tackles everything differently than a vocal band would. And then working with Ian and Amy in Kariki is a completely different thing because there's the music and then there's words that are going to go on it and it's mm-hmm. functions in a different way. And I get to add backing vocals, which is not something I was able to work on since the very beginning of Fugazi, which I, I did do that in the first show, mm-hmm. but as soon as like, you know, Guy started even on the second show, I think he was sort of off stage with a mic, you know, he was around that. I, and I just didn't have to do that anymore. Yeah. But it was, it was, I remember wanting to do that and it was interesting doing that. And then I, and then I just let it go. Man. So and I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that writing music and collaborating. And, and I mean, just so many, so many happy accidents and then just just getting the the different personalities in the mix and everything i mean it seems like you can you can almost go too deep when you're writing on your own you know you can almost go yeah. too far uh in one direction and not realize that it's you know uh like hey you know what's the what's the joke freebird where people you know like freebird dude like <laughs> like rein it in where it's just going on too long or or like really you know uh yeah and there's there's no one to bounce bounce yeah. any ideas off of there's no yeah you just want to be able you want a sounding board you know to 
see where you're at and you yeah and you have no you lose perspective there's no gauge i mean there's a million metaphors but yeah yeah man so well one thing one thing i watched recently which was uh I was really excited for the the aesthetics was the 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 NPR Tiny Desk concert. That was awesome to watch because it was. I mean, it's, of course, it's recorded very well. And but being able to watch you guys lock in in that in that small area, and just and that's what what as a musician myself watching, I I, mean, I know what it feels like to be in that pocket where I mean you don't have to look at each other, you don't have to. I mean, you just feel it. Everything clicks, and it's it's almost like breathing. Like it's it, I I associate it with breathing because it's a mm-hmm. just it just happens and uh, sure. it's it's just crazy to me. And then watching you guys do that uh, and lock in was just fascinating. Like everything else, like the YouTube stuff, it's hard to see. But the this right. this performance specifically was was uh, I just loved it because I was like, man, just watching the little the little cues and things like that, and and uh, just being in the moment. Um, really added to the music. I mean, it's good, yeah, and it's good not stuff. loud. It's not played really loud. Exactly. You know, we we were not allowed to play. You know, Anthony was testing his amp, and Bob got pretty <laughs> pissed right away. You know, it's like it was like what what you know, and made him turn it down. And then when he turned it down, it wasn't enough. And he was like, no, 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 no that's not enough. Yeah. So it was it was really. Um, it was something, you know, it was very different than even when we were practicing. So we really, it's, yeah, it's probably all very um, easy to understand, like mm-hmm. what's being played and so forth. So, and then you get to actually see it very well. Yeah. The camera's right in front of us. Yeah. And just, I mean, just the locking in, like you could feel it just being a, mm-hmm. a, a witness, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the just, it was so tight, but also free. Like it could go anywhere. Like it just, it was very, uh, refreshing you know to see it in that in that way um cool and i mean the stuff you've done i mean throughout your whole career i mean and i came in late i was born in 82 so i came into mm-hmm. a lot of things late um in the game and i was in alaska i grew up in alaska so wow you know uh, you guys came up there one time uh mm-hmm. and uh, i yeah it was it was something i came into way late and and started playing catch up and then you know, with this show playing catch up and, and, you know, going back through the history and, and finding what influenced the things that I was directly shown, uh, that, Oh, this, these guys credit this band for being, you know, the reason they play music, you know, of a band that came out in like 94 is like, wait a minute, go back. So uh-huh. it's been quite a journey, but, uh, you know, your contribution to music has been, I mean, amazing. You know what I mean? Like it's been, it's, it's been huge, uh, influence on me um, as a musician, as a as a listener to music, as a uh, someone who appreciates art. I mean, the things you've been a part of have been amazing. The the contributions you've made have been amazing, and I can't thank you enough for that because it's it's a huge deal to me. And also, you know, uh, having you on my show, it's 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 a you know a dream come true. I I really appreciate you know the time and and. Uh, you know, being into the the whole idea of coming on. I mean, that's awesome to me. <laughs> so, well, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I and I, and you know, next time you're over on the West Coast, uh, I'm gonna make it to the show. Make it a point to make it to the show because I missed the last time you were over here in, in the Northwest in Portland where I'm at, and uh, 
you know, uh, hopefully we can talk more, but you know, I, I don't want to keep you much longer. I, I know I appreciate the time and, um, you know, I just, I just like the fact that I get to say to people that are heroes of mine that, you know, thank you for, for what you've done and what you continue to do. And, and, uh, I mean, all the people you inspire, um, you know, it lives on and, uh, you know, I'm, I really appreciate the time. Well, thank you. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. And you know, that's where, that's where Ian Graham is. He's in Portland. Oh, perfect. Okay. I'm going to look him yeah, up. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. You, I don't, yeah. I don't know if the, I mean, he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a website. He's, he's kind of virtually unknown as a, someone who makes good, he hasn't put himself out there or made a whole bunch of things that he's tried to, you know, put, I think he's, I think he knows that no one's really going to know what you're doing until someone's playing one of your instruments. Sure. sure. <laughs> so, but, so I don't know what you can find on him out there, but maybe there's, um, maybe there's an inst- Instagram type of thing, which I don't yeah. know any of that stuff, but I think he might, he might post things of what he's making there. Well, it's possible. I'm a big sun amp fan, um, cool. myself and Conrad Sunholm lives in Wilsonville right down the way from me. And his, wow. I got on his website and it was a phone number and I called it. And he's like, this is Conrad. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> he's like, this is Conrad. Uh, what can I do for you? And I was like, oh my God. Um, yeah, I wasn't ready great. for this, sir. But uh, <laughs> he said, yeah, come over to the house. We'll do an episode if you want. And uh, like, look through the stuff. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it's That's so cool. It's that easy. Like, just call, yeah, call the number and talk to the man who changed, for me, the, the sound of music. Uh, yeah. And the power behind it. Anyway, so, like, the Northwest is a huge spot for a lot of people making instruments. But maybe maybe he'd want to come on the show and chat about it. Who knows? Like, uh, Sure, yeah. Yeah, if you want, you know, if you think about it and you can't find them or you do or, you know, you need to contact them, let me know. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Joe Lally, dude, I, I, this has been a, uh, absolute pleasure, man. And, uh, like I say, I appreciate the time and I appreciate, you know, everything you've put out there that, uh, we continue to enjoy. So keep fighting that fight, man. Right on. We'll take care, Dewey. All right, Joe. Take care. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Joe Lally from Fugazi. Like I said, it took a long time to get it done, but I think it was worthwhile. Uh, we had a lot of good stuff in there and, uh, Joe's an awesome guy and, uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and maybe do a part two, uh, when he comes through town, if he comes through with the aesthetics, we may do a part two with him and Brendan and see where that goes. So anyways, big thanks to, big thanks to Joe Lally and, uh, what a, what a fantastic guy and a fantastic influential musician on all, on all counts. So I, I love bringing guests like this to you guys, guys that you've requested, uh, guys and gals you've requested and tab on or huge influences for you. I love being able to share these conversations. So appreciate it guys. So check out peerpleasurepodcast.com. It's the website peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email to get in touch with me. Definitely rate review and subscribe to the show. Uh, it really helps us out. The, the ratings, uh, if you, if you write an actual review, I love getting those, but it also helps the show out. You know, there's all sorts of like chart position, algorithm stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, but, you know, we've been doing really well on the charts. It's kind of funny if you look uh, when, when the episodes come out, if an episode's doing really well, the only person in our category that is by episode, uh, you know, right in our way of getting up into the top 15 is Alec Baldwin uh, and his show. Because all of his episodes are in the top, like 1 through 15, 1 through 20. 
So, you know, him and maybe one other show are, are standing right in our way. So if Alec Baldwin's listening to this, uh, it's on, son. So anyway, <laughs> enough with that stuff. I don't I don't do a lot with the charts because I don't really I don't really trust uh, that they have much to do with anything um, because what we're doing here is is something that doesn't require a chart, doesn't require a uh, award, it doesn't require any of that stuff. It's just preserving a means of of conversation and the human experience. So having you guys week back week after week back and back and back, I love it. Uh, all you guys binging the episodes, keep sending me notes and on what you like, what you don't. And uh, yeah, as always, guys, we'll see you on the radio. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.